Section 10 of Volume 1E of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kevin Davidson. HISTORY OF ENGLAND FROM THE INVASION OF JULIUS CAESAR TO THE REVOLUTION OF 1688 BY DAVID HUME, VOLUME 1E, SECTION 10, CHAPTER 52, PART 2. Going towards the chancel, he several times took up from the floor some of the dust, and threw it in the air. When he approached with his attendants near to the communion table, he bowed frequently towards it and on their return they went round the church repeating as they marched along some of the psalms and then said a form of prayer which concluded with these words we consecrate this church and separate it unto thee as holy ground not to be profaned any more to common uses after this the bishop standing near the communion table solemnly pronounced many imprecations upon such as should afterwards pollute that holy place by musters of soldiers or keeping in it profane law courts or carrying burdens through it on the conclusion of every curse he bowed towards the east and cried let all the people say amen the imprecations being all so piously finished there were poured out a number of blessings upon such as had any hand in framing and building that sacred and beautiful edifice, and on such as had given, or should hereafter give to it, any chalices, plates, ornaments, or utensils. At every benediction he in like manner bowed towards the east, and cried, Let all the people say, Amen. The sermon followed, after which the bishop consecrated and administered the sacrament in the following manner. As he approached the communion table, he made lowly reverences, and coming up to the part of the table where the bread and wine lay, he bowed seven times. After the reading of many prayers, he approached the sacramental elements, and gently lifted up the corner of the napkin in which the bread was placed. When he beheld the bread, he suddenly let fall the napkin, flew back a step or two, bowed three, several times, towards the bread, then he drew nigh again, opened the napkin, and bowed as before. Next he laid his hand on the cup, which had a cover upon it, and was filled with wine. He let go the cup, fell back, and bowed thrice towards it. He approached again, and, lifting up the cover, peeped into the cup. Seeing the wine, he let fall the cover, started back, and bowed as before. Then he received the sacrament, and gave it to others, and many prayers being said, the solemnity of the consecration ended. The walls and floor and roof of the fabric were then supposed to be sufficiently holy. Orders were given, and rigorously insisted on, that the communion table should be removed from the middle of the area where it hitherto stood in all churches except in cathedrals. It was placed at the east end, railed in, and denominated an altar, as the clergyman who officiated received commonly the appellation of priest. It is not easy to imagine the discontents excited by this innovation and the suspicions which it gave rise to. 
the kneeling at the altar and the using of copes a species of embroidered vestment in administering the sacrament were also known to be great objects of scandal as being popish practices but the opposition rather increased than abated the zeal of the prelate for the introduction of these habits and ceremonies all kinds of ornament especially pictures were necessary for supporting that mechanical devotion which was purposed to be raised in this model of religion but as these had been so much employed by the church of rome and had given rise to so much superstition or what the puritans called idolatry it was impossible to introduce them into english churches without exciting general murmurs and complaints but laud possessed of present authority persisted in his purpose and made several attempts towards acquiring these ornaments some of the pictures introduced by him were also found upon inquiry to be the very same that might be met with in the mass-book the crucifix too that eternal consolation of all pious catholics and terror to all sound protestants was not forgotten on this occasion it was much remarked that sheffield the recorder of salisbury was tried in the star chamber for having broken contrary to the bishop of salisbury's express injunctions a painted window of st edmund's church in that city he boasted that he had destroyed these monuments of idolatry but for this effort of his zeal he was fined five hundred pounds removed from his office condemned to make a public acknowledgment and be bound to his good behavior not only such of the clergy as neglected to observe every ceremony were suspended and deprived by the high commission court oaths were by many of the bishops imposed or the churchwardens and they were sworn to inform against any one who acted contrary to the ecclesiastical canons such a measure though practised during the reign of elizabeth gave much offence as resembling too nearly the practice of romanish inquisition to show the greater alienation from the churches reformed after the presbyterian model laud advised that the discipline and worship of the church should be imposed on the english regiments and trading companies abroad all foreigners of the dutch and walloon congregations were commanded to attend the established church and indulgence was granted to none after the children of the first denizens scudamore too the king's ambassador at paris had orders to withdraw himself from the communion of the huguenots even men of sense were apt to blame this conduct not only because it gave offence in england but because in foreign countries it lost the crown the advantage of being considered as the head and support of the reformation on pretence of pacifying disputes orders were issued from the council forbidding on both sides all preaching and printing with regard to the controverted points of predestination and free will but it was complained of and probably within reason that the impartiality was altogether confined to the orders and that the execution of them was only meant against the calvinists in return for charles indulgence towards the church laud and his followers took care to magnify on every occasion the regal authority and to treat with the utmost disdain or detestation all puritanical pretensions to a free and independent constitution but while these prelates were so liberal in raising the crown at the expense of public liberty 
they made no scruple of encroaching themselves on the royal rights the most incontestable in order to exalt the hierarchy and procure to their own order dominion and independence all the doctrines which the romanish church had borrowed from some of the fathers and which freed the spiritual from subordination to the civil power were now adopted by the church of england and interwoven with her political and religious tenets a divine and apostolic charter was insisted on preferably to a legal and parliamentary one the sacerdotal character was magnified as sacred and indefeasible all right to spiritual authority or even to private judgment in spiritual subjects was refused to profane laymen ecclesiastical courts were held by the bishops in their own name without any notice taken of the king's authority and charles though extremely jealous of every claim in popular assemblies seemed rather to encourage than repress those encroachments of his clergy having felt many sensible inconveniences from the independent spirit of the parliaments he attached himself entirely to those who professed a devoted obedience to his crown and person nor did he foresee that the ecclesiastical power which he exalted not admitting of any precise boundary might in time become more dangerous to public peace and no less fatal to royal prerogative than the other so early as the coronation laud was the person according to general opinion that introduced a novelty which though overlooked by charles made a deep impression on many of the bystanders after the usual ceremonies these words were recited to the king from henceforth the place to which you have been heir by the succession of your forefathers being now delivered to you by the authority of almighty god and by the hands of us and all the bishops and servants of god and as you see the clergy to come nearer the altar than others so remember that in all places convenient you give them greater honor that the mediator of god and man may establish you on the kingly throne to be a mediator betwixt the clergy and the laity and that you may reign forever with jesus christ the king of kings and lord of lords the principles which exalted prerogative were not entertained by the king merely as soft and agreeable to his royal ears they were also put in practice during the time that he ruled without parliaments though frugal and regular in his expense he wanted money for the support of the government and he levied it either by the revival of obsolete laws or by violations some more open some more disguised of the privileges of the nation though humane and gentle in his temper he gave way to a few severities in the star chamber and high commission which seemed necessary in order to support the present mode of administration and repress the rising spirit of liberty throughout the kingdom under these two heads may be reduced all the remarkable transactions of this reign during some years for in peaceable and prosperous times where a neutrality in foreign affairs is observed scarcely anything is remarkable but what is in some degree blamed or blamable and lest the hope of relief or protection from parliament might encourage opposition charles issued a proclamation in which he declared that whereas for several ill ends the calling again of a parliament is divulged 
though his majesty has shown by frequent meetings with his people his love to the use of parliaments yet the late abuse having for the present driven him unwillingly out of that course he will account it presumption for any one to prescribe to him any time for the calling of that assembly this was generally construed as a declaration that during this reign no more parliaments were intended to be summoned and every measure of the king's confirmed a suspicion so disagreeable to the generality of the people tonnage and poundage continued to be levied by the royal authority alone the former additional impositions were still exacted even new impositions were laid on several kinds of merchandise the custom-house officers received orders from the council to enter into any house warehouse or cellar to search any trunk or chest and to break any bulk whatever in default of the payment of customs in order to exercise the militia and to keep them in good order each county by an edict of the council was assessed a certain sum for maintaining a muster-master appointed for that service compositions were openly made with recusants and the popish religion became a regular part of the revenue this was all the persecution which it underwent during the reign of charles a commission was granted for compounding with such as were possessed of crown lands upon defective titles and on this pretense some money was exacted from the people there was a law of edward the second that whoever was possessed of twenty pounds a year in land should be obliged when summoned to appear and to receive the order of knighthood twenty pounds at that time partly by the change of denomination partly by that in the value of money were equivalent to two hundred in the seventeenth century and it seemed just that the king should not strictly insist on the letter of the law and oblige people of so small revenue to accept of that expensive honor edward the sixth and queen elizabeth who had both of them made use of this expedient for raising money had summoned only those who were possessed of forty pounds a year and upwards to receive knighthood or compound for their neglect and charles imitated their example in granting the same indulgence commissioners were appointed for fixing the rates of composition and the instructions were given to these commissioners not to accept of less sum than would have been due by the party upon a tax of three subsidies and a half nothing proves more plainly how ill-disposed the people were to the measures of the crown than to observe that they loudly complained of an expedient founded on positive statute and warranted by such recent precedents the law was pretended to be obsolete though only one reign had intervened since the last execution of it barnard lecturer of st sepulchre's london used this expression in his prayer before sermon lord open the eyes of the queen's majesty that she may see jesus christ whom she has pierced with her infidelity superstition and idolatry he was questioned in the high commission court for this insult on the queen but upon his submission dismissed Leighton, who had written libels against the king, the queen, the bishops, and the whole administration, was condemned by a very severe, if not cruel, sentence, but the execution of it was suspended for some time in expectation of his submission. All the severities, indeed, of this reign were exercised against those who triumphed in their sufferings, who courted persecution, and braved authority, 
and on that account their punishments may be deemed the more just but the less prudent to have neglected them entirely had it been consistent with order and public safety had been the wisest measure that could have been embraced as perhaps it had been the most severe punishment that could have been inflicted on these zealots in order to gratify the clergy with a magnificent fabric subscriptions were set on foot for repairing and rebuilding st paul's and the king by his countenance and example encouraged this laudable undertaking by order of the privy council st gregory's church was removed as an impediment to the project of extending and beautifying the cathedral some houses and shops likewise were pulled down and compensation was made to the owners as there was no immediate prospect of assembling a parliament such acts of power in the king became necessary and in no former age would the people have entertained any scruple with regard to them it must be remarked that the puritans were extremely averse to the raising of this ornament to the capital it savoured as they pretended of popish superstition a stamp duty was imposed on cards a new tax which of itself was liable to no objection but appeared of dangerous consequence when considered as arbitrary and illegal monopolies were revived an oppressive method of levying money being unlimited as well as destructive of industry the last parliament of james which abolished monopolies had left an equitable exception in favour of new inventions and on pretence of these and of erecting new companies and corporations was this grievance now renewed the manufacture of soap was given to a company who paid a sum for their patent leather salt and many other commodities even down to linen rags were likewise put under restrictions it is affirmed by clarendon that so little benefit was reaped from these projects that of two hundred thousand pounds thereby levied on the people scarcely one thousand five hundred came into the king's coffers though we ought not to suspect the noble historian of exaggerations this fact it must be owned appears somewhat incredible the same author adds that the king's intention was to teach his subjects how unthrifty a thing it was to refuse reasonable supplies to the crown an imprudent project to offend a whole nation under the view of punishment and to hope by acts of violence to break their refractory spirits without being possessed of any force to prevent resistance the council of york had been first erected after a rebellion by a patent from henry the eighth without any authority of parliament and this exercise of power like many others was indulged to that arbitrary monarch this council had long acted chiefly as a criminal court but besides some innovations introduced by james charles thought proper some time after wentworth was made president to extend its powers and to give it a large civil jurisdiction and that in some respects discretionary it is not improbable that the king's intention was only to prevent inconveniences which arose from the bringing of every cause from the most distant parts of the kingdom into westminster hall but the consequence in the meantime of this measure was the putting of all the northern counties out of the protection of ordinary law and subjecting them to an authority somewhat arbitrary some irregular acts of that council were this year complained of the court of star chamber extended its authority and it was matter of complaint that it encroached upon the jurisdiction of the other courts 
imposing heavy fines and inflicting severe punishments beyond the usual course of justice. Sir David Fowlis was fined five thousand pounds, chiefly because he had dissuaded a friend from compounding with the commissioners of knighthood. End of section 10, chapter 52, part 2. Recording by Kevin Davidson. www.blogordie.com